0: Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, our family that 's gathered together here and how you love us and care for us and and you have um, brought us together and knit us together as your body and the, lord we, we're none of us in here are perfect, and none of our works measure better than another person 's and so lord, i 'm so grateful that you give us grace that you open up all the treasures of heaven. Uh, for us, and we don't have to earn it at all. Lord, we just approach you with humility and faith, and we instantly receive everything that we need from your hand, the hand of our Father. So God, we thank you, God, that it works by grace, that your, your favor towards us does not fail. You never get tired of being gracious to us. You never get tired of our failures, God. You, you have forgiven them all you've wiped them clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and so lord we thank you we praise you and uh i just i'm so overjoyed by my family that's gathered together here in your name we pray jesus amen so again we're in genesis chapter 21 and we're we're kind of making our way through this chapter we we studied the first 13 verses last week and we're going to we're going to back up a little bit just so we can get the context um, so we're going to start in verse 8 but The big picture of the Bible is relationship. A man and God can have a real intimate relationship through this book. Through this book. God can lead a man through this book. God can break down a wall in a heart that no one else could. It's his tool uh, the, the Bible is his, is his tool of relating to us. And the way that he uses this book is called Promises. You know, we have tools for relating to each other, for communicating with each other. We call them cell phones. Before cell phones, they had regular telephones. Remember the old rotary telephones? When I was about um, 10 or 11... I was, I was at my grandma's house, and I said, hey, can I call my dad real quick? And she says, yeah, sure. So I go over to the phone, and it was a rotary phone, and I, was, I just stared at it. And they all laughed at me because I didn't know how to use it. I was used to the buttons, right? And so we all have these tools of how to communicate with each other, and God's tool is the Word of God, and how he chooses to use that is through promises, a promise, so I'm gonna define that word promise for us because we've been talking about promises a lot. And as we're as we're getting into Genesis, it seems like every single week we're talking about the promise, the promise, the promise. And so I wanted us to, to spend just a moment to define that word so that we understand what it's talking about. A promise, according to Webster, Noah Webster, who's my great uncle, great, great, great uncle. I'm related to Noah Webster. It's my claim to fame. And Daniel Boone. Those are my mom told me about that. So I need one of those coonskin hats, you know? That would be cool. I've never even seen the movie. I don't know what Daniel Boone did, but he wore a hat. That was cool. But a promise is a statement telling someone that you will definitely do something or that something will definitely happen in the future. And I love that definition. When someone gives you their word that something will be done, you know that that's for real or it should be, right? And God has given us his word. His word. And his word concerns many things. And they're all 100% sure and they're 100% going to happen. And his word is 100% about promises. The Bible equals promises. When you pick this up, this is a book of promises. It's a solid ground to stand on. It's a firm foundation to build on. It's the fear of the unknown that gets us in trouble. Because when we don't know what's coming up, most of us freak out. We freak out. And freaking out is the norm for many people. Freaking out is almost a hobby for some people. Freaking out usually ends up in us doing things that we regret. And freaking out is not what God intends for our life. He wants us to keep calm and remember the promise. He's given us his word as an anchor for our souls to keep us from drifting into the deep end where we freak out. That's just what happens. So this is our our introduction is that the word of God is what keeps us from freaking out and the word of God is promises, promises. So the way we relate to the word of God, the way we pick up the cell phone, the way we text back and forth with God is promises. Those are your children. They're excited about Jesus. So we're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 21 for the context, and then we'll start studying in verse 14. It says, So the child grew and was weaned. We're talking about Isaac, God's promised son to uh, Abraham, where God said, You're going to have a son. The promise came true, and it was Isaac. And Abraham made a great feast on that same day that Isaac was weaned. So Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham scoffing therefore she said to Abraham cast out this bondwoman and her son for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son namely with Isaac and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son but but God said to Abraham do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman whatever sarah says to you listen to her voice for in Isaac your seed shall be called. And we studied last week how this was the, 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 the way that we're supposed to relate to promises versus our efforts. We're supposed to kick out our efforts. Kick them out. Don't let them dwell in the same place. Don't live your life with sometimes I'm trying hard to please God and sometimes I'm receiving God's grace. Just all grace. That's what we need. All grace all the time. So now we get to verse 14. So Abraham rose up early in the morning and he took bread and a skin of water. And putting it on her shoulder, he gave it to the boy, uh, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. And then she went and sat down across from him, a distance of about a bow shot. And she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. The first verse there in verse 14 says, Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water, and he put it on her shoulder and gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Abraham, right now, he's filled with humility and faith. And he's living with God's favor or God's grace. How do I know that? Because he is surrendering. Because he's surrendering. That's how I know that he's living with humility and faith. Because that's what humility and faith look like to the outside observer. When someone has humility before God, they say, God, I really need you. I confess that I am broken and I need you. And faith is God. Not only do I need you, but I believe your promises. I believe your word and I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to, and that whole process, what it looks like to the outside observer is surrendering. surrender. And that's why we're called White Flag Calvary because this is such a central thing to our relationship with God is surrendering. He's waving the white flag. He surrender is the most complete description of a life of humility and faith put together. And this is how a person receives grace. How do we access this grace, this favor of God that we see, that Abraham is experiencing? Is it do, do I need to work harder? Do I need to try a bit harder? Do I need to show up at church more? Do I need to go to confession, or do I need to do this, or... Or get that. How does this happen? How do I receive God's favor? And the answer is humility and faith combined to surrender. That's how we receive God's blessing and God's favor in our life. And I can prove it to you. I'm not just crazy. I'm not just coming up with stuff. And you're maybe thinking, I haven't heard this in the Bible before. I haven't heard this in the church before. So I want you to prove it to me. So we'll do that. James 4.6 says, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Also, it's 1 Peter 5.5. Also, they're both quoting Proverbs 3.24, I believe. And he's saying, God says, he declares, I will give grace to the humble. So you want grace? You want my favor? You want me to bless you? Just humble yourself. Admit your need. Live a life of dependence, and you will. And then the second half of how we get this grace, as you guys who have been studying with us know, is faith. Because Romans 5.2 says it is by faith that we access into this grace in which we stand. It's faith that gives us the access. So humility saying, God, I need you. Faith saying, it's you. And I'm going to reach out to you and I'm going to receive what you have to give me. That faith combined with humility, that's what Abraham's doing right now. See, Abraham doesn't delay to do what God has told him to do. There's no fight left in Abraham. He's just surrendered. Think of a battle and a war raging and a, and a soldier saying, I'm done. I'm done. What do they do? They raise that white flag and say, I, whatever you want. And the people say, okay, you're surrendering. Come over here and go into this camp. They say, okay. We'll go over there. Okay. You just you surrender. You have been broken of your self-will and self-sufficiency, your side has lost. There's no more fight left in Abraham. Even though he doesn't want to do this, look at what he's being asked to do by God. Let his son go away. God's basically saying, you're not going to see your son ever again. Well, Abraham does not want to do that. He loves his son. And sometimes God asks us to surrender things that we love. Sometimes he asks us to surrender things he loves, and that hurts. It hurts. But God knows what he's doing. God has a plan for Abraham, and he has a plan for Ishmael too. He has a plan for both of them. He's not a mean and vindictive God just saying, give me the thing that you love the most. No, he wants to bless Abraham, but his blessings can only fall where someone is surrendered. God says, surrender and come to me, come into me, so that my blessings can be upon you. And God has a plan for you too. And it will involve surrender. I told someone this week, your life will, you will need to surrender something soon to the Lord. You can go your own way and you can choose your own path and you can try to earn your own blessings, but God will be standing aside and watching you with a longing heart saying, I would love to be the one blessing you, but you're trying to earn it yourself. You're trying to impress me, and that doesn't work. He's hoping someday we will get to the end of our striving and just come to him and find rest from our efforts and struggles through surrender. So God will many times ask us to give up something, a pursuit, a desire, a dream, a hope, a right, And that's not popular in this country. When someone says, you have the right to this, or you have a right to that, people will fight to the death for their rights. And God, he reigns and rules over every man. And he says, I may ask you to give up your rights. To being happy, to being comfortable, to getting your way, even something you deserve. I may ask you to give those things up. And Abraham, he doesn't know that this is going to be a big picture to all the other followers of God forever of how a believer needs to treat their flesh. He doesn't realize that he is the father of faith as we see him. He's just no. He just knows that he trusts God and that he's surrendered to God his own will, his life, even something that he loves so dearly as his son. His first son. He doesn't know that his example will lead the way of faith for millions of faithful men who are going to follow. He, he doesn't know how God is going to work any of this out, but he does know how much it hurts. He's upset, but he's learned this one thing that surrendering to God is more important than how I feel. And that's a lesson that we all have to learn. Surrendering to God is more important Than how I feel. Nobody likes to surrender. It's brutal. In Galatians chapter five verse twenty four, we read, "And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So this verse describes how it feels to surrender how your pastor is asking you to live your life, it hurts. I'm asking you to hurt. It kills. It feels like being killed. Or like Paul would say, it feels like crucifixion. It's like being nailed to a tree of submission. It feels like being crucified like Jesus was. How do you imagine how he felt being crucified? It's pretty lame, right? It's brutal. It's daily pain following Jesus. It's... Following Jesus kills me every day. And Abraham, he's been learning to daily die on the cross with Jesus. That's what he's been learning daily, is following the Lord hurts. It's brutal. And my flesh says, that hurts. I don't want to do that. I don't want to give that up. That's my one hope for happiness. That's my one hope for success and notoriety in this world. I don't want to give that up. And God, by His Spirit, is saying, Trust me. Trust me. Abraham is passionate about his son. He's waited 87 years for Ishmael to be born. His name means blessed father, and people made fun of him for 87 years because he didn't have a kid. So this is very deep and personal to Abraham. He does not want to give up his son. So why die? Why does Paul in Galatians 5 say, all who are Christ have crucified the flesh? Why Why do we crucify the flesh? And the answer is the second half of that verse. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. After we die, we are free and open and empty to be able to be filled with the Spirit. We're not filled up with our own desires anymore. We're empty so that He can pour in His Spirit, His desires, His heart, And the Spirit has no problem surrendering to the Father. They are one. They have no difference in desire. In fact, the Spirit and the Father have never had an argument their entire life. Way back in history past, the Spirit, the Son, and the Father, man, they they agreed on everything. And every moment up until now, they've always agreed. Even the day that the Father said, Son, would you go and die for men who will reject you? And the Son said, Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about it, because you and me and the spirit, we all agree, we're all one. We've never had an argument. They're one. So here, test your life. Do you have the spirit? Are you willing and able to surrender? Because that's what the Spirit does. He's totally all about surrender. Whatever thy kingdom come, not my kingdom. It's about your kingdom. And that's why Jesus said, pray that prayer. Because when you're lining up with God's kingdom, when you're lining up your heart and your prayers, and you start them out saying this is about you and not me, you're getting in the right place where you're going to be blessed. Do you have the spirit? Are you willing to surrender? Couples, married couples in here. Give your, give your couple friend a high five. That's right. Good job. Good <laughs> job. Are you married couples or dating couples? I'll I'll allow it. (laughs) Are you willing to surrender your right to be right? Or served? Or even loved? To honor God and still love and serve your spouse? If you have the Holy Spirit, you'll do that. If you feel in your heart that surrender of, what well, if he treats me like that, I'm not going to act like that. Or if she treats me like that, I'm not going to do that. Just know that that's your flesh. And it needs to be put to death. God is asking it to be put to death. Crucified with Christ. And surrender and say, no matter how my spouse treats me, I will do what God told me to do. Women lovingly submit. Men Lead and love your wives? Oh my gosh, it's crazy. How would God be so mean to ask us to do this? He wants you to be blessed. This is how marriages work, the right way. When you you stop worrying about getting your rights, getting yours, serve them. Employees, how many of you are employees? Have a job. All right, kind of embarrassing. Sorry, I shouldn't have had you raise your hands if you didn't. (laughs) Are you willing to surrender your pursuit of recognition to know that God sees that you serve Him in your job? Are you willing to just work quietly as unto the Lord? Ugh, that's tough. That's like death. Going to my job is like being crucified. It is to our hearts and our flesh, absolutely. Parents, oh, this one kills. Are you willing to surrender the way you think that discipline and punishment work and simply obey what the Word of God says? Are you willing to, to care for your kids? Hey, buddy. Yeah. We got to surrender in that too. I know I got to surrender that on a daily basis. Huh. We had an argument like two nights ago about that because I didn't surrender. Oh, my flesh. (laughs) All right. So the story now follows Hagar and Ishmael out into Abraham. He surrendered. And so what do I know is going to happen? God's going to bless Abraham. I know it. Even without reading, I know that blessings follow surrender. It just happens. So now we follow Hagar and Ishmael into the desert. And verse 15, And the water in the skin was used up. So she placed the boy under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat down across from him at the distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And, the, and God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him With your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So Hagar comes back in the story, and we already met with her. We already know that she's already met the Lord. She actually saw Jesus showed up to her. But she's forgotten what she knows about him, and she's forgotten what he told her, what he promised her by his word. You know, just to review, she was rescued from Egypt. She was sort of adopted into Abraham's family, and then she got involved with Abraham and Sarah in their lack of faith, and so it was kind of all messed up. And so she, Sarah got mad at her, and she fled back to Egypt. And on the way, she's hanging out by a well, a woman at a well, and Jesus comes up to her and has a conversation. He seems to like to do that. So if you want to have a conversation, go to a well. And in this conversation, in Genesis chapter 16, God helps, uh, we we studied that in, in our sermon, God helps those who humble themselves. God asked her to evaluate her life. And he said, Hagar, take a look at your life. You're running away. Uh, where He says, where are you coming from and where are you going? I want you to take a look at this. You came out of Egypt. Now you want to go back to Egypt. Why? They didn't even want you. They hated Abraham and so they gave you to him. You were their bad thing. You were their curse to curse Abraham with. Why would you want to go back there? And he said, I actually want you, Hagar. I actually want you on my team. I actually like you. Stay with me. Stay on my team. Even though my quarterback is kind of a schizo right now. I know he's crazy. He's in his flesh. But I want you on my team. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. This is in Genesis 16 The way to fix the situation, Hagar, is not running away from your problems. It's humility. It's submission. That's how you can experience God's blessings, even in your crazy life, even with the crazy quarterback. You can experience that. And then God promised her after that that he would make her son a very great nation and that he would be blessed. And if God said it, God will do it. Exactly. That was from last week. Good job, guys. This is the promise that Hagar should be hanging on to right now. But it's 13 years later. How many of you can remember a conversation you had 13 years ago? Okay. Ryan. That's it. All the rest of us have no idea what happened 13 years ago. That was before Twitter, so I don't know. So that's the the promise that she should be hanging on to. But it was a while ago, so I'm giving her some some slack here, okay? She's forgotten. She's forgotten. But if she would have remembered, she wouldn't be freaking out right now. This is the one promise she should have been writing in the check, like that check we got last week at the anchor groups, and you guys filled out the promise number for the, that of the promise. This was the one she should have filled out and endorsed her name on in the back and just said, God has said it. I believe it. So I'm writing my name on it. I'm going to cash it. I believe that God has a promise that my son's life is going to be blessed. That's God's promise. He said it. Because she doesn't have to worry right now. If she would, uh, She could be at peace if she would just remember the promise and believe it. She has no reason to worry. But she's freaking out. See, what she's doing is she's placing the boy under a, a shrub. Now, just think with me here. He's like... A teenager all right he's not like a little kid he's a full-grown almost man teenager probably has little chin hairs and she goes and she sits down across from him a distance of about a bow shop for she said to herself let me not see the death of my boy and she lifted up her voice and wept he's not some baby that she's putting under a shrub She's saying, she has to probably like, he's probably like, no, mom, what are you doing? And he, she's like, get in there, right no I'm sick of this. And he's probably like, mom, you're freaking out, what are you doing? And it says she's doing this when they ran out of water in their skin. So it's been like a day. This isn't like two weeks of wandering in the desert. Maybe a couple hours they would run out of water, and she's like, oh, my life is over, I'm out of water. It's been like a day. And here's the greatest thing. There is a well right around the corner from where she's at. She has no reason to freak out. But she's freaking out. Everything is falling apart in her life. She says, oh, my gosh, my teenagers just go under a shrub. Should be used for decorating, but they're here in the desert. <laughs> It's been like a day where we have no hope. And I see no way that God is going to save us. And it's just, it, she's blind. She's doubt. She's, she's freaking out. She's out of control because she doesn't remember or believe God's promise. And this is how we fall apart too. How many of you ever had a freak out? A little time of freak out. All right. Didn't mean to totally freak out on you, but I did. It's not the stress of the world. And people say, oh, I am just totally stressed out. It's not. It's not life and your circumstances. Nope. Not allowed. We're not going to make that excuse here. You're also not to make the excuse, oh, it's just how I was raised, to freak out. I can't handle stress. I can't handle this. I can't handle that. All of those things are just excuses. The real thing... They might might be an outward influence. That might be the outward thing that is causing. But the real reason that our hearts lose it is because we have decided not to believe in God's promises or we've simply forgotten them or we didn't know them to begin with. God's promises are the sure foundation of that keep you from freaking out. Keep calm and remember the promise. God promised that if we search for him, we will find him. But how many times have I heard, I've been seeking God for years and he's never come to me and he'll never. And I said, no, you're lying. You have not sought God. If you sought God, you'd find him. Don't call me you mean. That's what the Bible says. And I'm sorry that, that it may come off harsh. But no, I will gently tell them, I'm sorry, but that's not true. It's not how it works. God's promise that his love will never fail. I feel like God doesn't love me. Liar. No. Not true. You don't have to freak out about that. God must be so mad at me. No. His love does not fail. But I did the same thing a hundred times. I know. His love still didn't fail. What part of it doesn't fail don't you get? I just don't believe it. I know. That's the deal. God's promised blessing for all who delight themselves in his word. Oh, but I like going to a church that doesn't teach the Bible. Shush. I was like, it's a miracle. God's. Promise salvation to all that believe. If you don't recognize what I'm doing right now, I'm giving you the promises we looked at last week and how related this is. God's promised salvation for all who believe in his son. Well, I believe in his son, but I don't think I'm saved. Why? Stop freaking out. Just believe the promise. God's promised to work out all things for the good of his children. Oh, but this is bad. No, It's not. Nothing is bad if you believe in Jesus. Nothing. I know it may seem bad, and you may not see how it, but there's a well around the corner. We'll get there in just a second. God's promised comfort in your trial. The deeper you hurt, the deeper your comfort will be. That's his promise. But I don't, I've been going through so much, and God's not there for me. Whatever. He is there for you. God's promised to finish the work he started in you. Oh, God's just done with me. See, stop freaking out. Stop being Hagar. God promises us peace when we pray. Oh, I freak out all the time. What, did you pray about it? Well, I did. Did you keep praying? Well, you you would have peace. It's there for you if you want it. He'll give it to you. God's promised to supply our needs. How many of you like me, have said, where is my next paycheck going to come from? God. It's, God is going to supply for your needs, you know? When we freak out, when we don't have um, these promises to stand on, uh, because we feel like drifting in an ocean of uncertainty. And uh, People take medicine because of this. They, oh, I'm just drifting, and I feel so insecure about my life. I understand. The reason why, though, is because of Promises. You're not believing the promises. They are real. God really wants to interact in your life and give you the things he's promised. He really wants to. And that's the life that God intends for us to have, is receiving things from his hand. God doesn't want you to have a stable job. He wants you to have a stable heart. He's so much more concerned about a stable heart that believes in promises than a job. And he'll take your job away just to show you. And maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, I don't know what it is for you. But God will say, surrender it. You're like, no. And God's like, listen, your heart, your heart is freaking out. Your heart is freaking out. Hagar is freaking out. Ishmael is chilling under a shrub like, oh my God, my mom. Stop it, mom. Seriously. <sighs> Don't you know that God, what God has already told us? You've been telling me I'm 13 and I know what God said. Dude, God, can you do something here? That's what Ishmael's doing. And I know that. The Bible actually says that because verse 17, God heard the voice of the lad. She shoved him in there and he's like, God, look at my mom. She's freaking out. And God agrees with Ishmael. Look, it says, then the angel of the Lord called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of your lad. He heard him complaining about you. (laughs) And the teenager's right in this situation. It's just crazy. And he said, arise, for lift up the lad and hold him in your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Remember the conversation we had 13 years ago? Remember how I told you? Remember the promise? Hagar, you don't have to freak out about anything. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. (laughs) And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. He says, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not. And God says, if you just would have remembered the promise. Here, let me remind you of it. My friends, As you're out in the world in Denver this week, this is how to minister to people who are struggling to believe. Not, you're crazy, dude. Just have faith, bro. Just be a better Christian. Just try a little harder. Come to church. No, it's remind them of God's promise. Remind them of God's promises. All 8,000 of them. If you don't know which of the 8,000 they need then pray and open the word of God and ask him to show you. And he probably will. He actually will, will. Doesn't make sense, but he will. This is how ministry works. Really good ministry is reminding people of God's promises and then saying, look, and we pray that God opens their eyes so that they can see his, the, the answer to his promises. The, the well was already there. The answer to the promise was already in existence. The well already existed. Replace Hagar's name with yours. What ails you, Dana? What ails you, Spencer? What ails you? Fear not. There is literally nothing that can happen to you that's outside of me. Remember the promises. They fix everything in our hearts when we stand upon these promises. They fix it all. The only thing to really be afraid of, the Bible says, is dying as an enemy of God. That's the only thing to be afraid of. Everything else is not that important. I know children die. And I know horrible car accidents happen. And I know also that the Bible says that's not something to be afraid of. I don't understand it, but I can stand on it and I can believe on something I don't understand. Do you, anybody in here understand how glowworms work? Or fireflies? Or glow in the dark paint? There's a million things I use or, or, every day that I have no clue how it works, but I can stand on it and believe it. You're like, maybe you should just learn science. Well, <laughs> so. When we're we're struggling, you know, remember those promises, then pray the promises. Talk to God about it. Let your conversation with God be about what he says he will do. Surrender your words to be words of faith when you're praying, speaking these promises instead of a foolish, doubting heart. Saying, God, you said you would provide for my needs. Well, I have a need, a real need. This isn't like want or something. This is a real need you said you would provide. So I'm asking you to provide. I'm asking you to be faithful to your promise. God says, yes, I will. And read the word. Fill up your mind with these promises. Pray about them. Remind God of these promises. Preach it to your own soul. Because the well is right around the corner and it already is there. He already knew what you were going to ask for before you asked for it. He's already faithful to answer his promises, to do his promises, perform his promises, before we even depend on them. God's provision is always hidden to the eye of doubt and the flesh. You're not going to see the answers to God's promises. How many years have we wasted trusting in our jobs to provide our needs? And we haven't seen God. You may say, I've never seen God provide for my needs. Well, have you ever trusted him to do it? Have you ever said, God, this is your promise? And seen him come through in miraculous ways. Now, this does not mean sit on your butt and don't work. Just say, God, you don't? No. Follow the Lord, work hard. God will provide for you we can't see it when we doubt but it's still there it's still there which makes me feel good which makes me feel like man I could trust him because the well was there I know your life seems like the driest desert ever maybe right now no possibility of hope is God's hand short that he can't save God begs us to trust him like this Look at what Isaiah chapter 50 says. Is my hand shortened, God says, uh, at all that it cannot redeem? Or, or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink because there is no water. And all die of thirst. Meaning, I can do anything. And I will keep my promise to you. I can do anything, and I'll keep my promise. All of the world could be against me, and I would still keep my promise to you. My word will not fail, God says. He even mocks us for not believing it. He's like, is, do I have a short hand? Am I some weird, deformed God that you don't trust me? What is this? Then verse 19, God opened her eyes. She saw that well of water and she filled that skin with water and she gave it to the lad to drink. This is how we pray when we're ministering to people that God opens their eyes. First, their hearts to trust him and then their eyes to see his salvation, the promise that he's fulfilling. Our only part in this whole equation of what God does to receive the promise it is just to receive the water. She just had to walk over to the well and fill up her little skin with it, that's faith and humility. That's all that's required. And in John chapter four, we see the other story of the woman at the well, don't we? So I have two women at two wells, but Jesus answered her in John chapter four verse thirteen, and said to her, "Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst." but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Who does he give this to? It's never earned. Never earned. He did not say the word earn. He only said give. Give is the language of grace. Earn is the language of the law. And I know some hearts in here are still trapped by earning. They think they have to earn God's blessings. And he says, no, I will give. Who will he give it to? Whoever asks, he says. Whoever will come to me. When you are tired of freaking out, go to Jesus. Come to the Lord and be refreshed with his living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, Jesus yelled at the the feast day when they were pouring out all that water in the temple. Our hearts get so stressed out. Don't they? We get so worried. We become so sad. We get depressed. We have such despair. And Jesus is waiting for us with refreshing glory and the Holy Spirit to change everything, to quench every need of our soul. A real relationship with an invisible and infinitely satisfying God is available, is promised. To whoever will come to Jesus, what a wonderful Savior. So come and drink deeply of his word and his life. John 5.24 is what we close our service with today. So I want want us all to stand up. Sometimes to receive something, you got to stand up and say, that's for me. So we're going to stand up, and I'm going to read John 5.24. We're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to take communion. So church is not over <laughs> Just in case you were wondering We have major, major business To deal with God about he is, he is asking everyone To stop freaking out We all freak out about stuff We all do And he's saying no more Not after today I have total peace And I'm not going to let you get out of here Without drinking And we're going to have communion open And this is a very practical way that You can say you know what I trust, and I believe, I'm going to have the worship team come on up, but I trust and I believe in what he did that that's going to be what I need. I mean, I came to church today not because it's a popular place to be and not because it's it's super fun or funny, but I came because I believe that God says uh, he'll have a word for me. And his word for us today is that Jesus died on the cross for us. And when he poured out, when his body was broken, it was the substitute for our sin. When the blood was poured out, it was his new life flowing into our hearts. And that's the offer. That's what he says. So that's the offer for all of us. And if someone in here has never believed that, today is the day. Today is the day that you say, all right, I'm in. John 5.24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, promise, right there, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Has passed from death to life. So I don't know everyone in here, I don't know where all of you are with Jesus, but if you want to pass from death to life, raise your hand. Say, so that is for me. And we're going to pray right now. Jesus, we pray, we, we come to you and only you because of what you did on the cross. Only you, Jesus, can satisfy. And Lord, over many sins we have committed, many things we have done that have, have um, obviously hurt our relationship with you. But Lord, we believe that the promises that if we would trust you, you will save us. And I pray for every single person in here that has had a problem freaking out. Lord, that your angel from heaven would speak out right now and say, What ails you? Fear not. I got this. Believe my promises. All things work together for the good of of those who are my children, who are called according to my purpose. And that's you, precious child. Jesus, we just, we put everything in your hands. We lay down our, our worries and our doubts, Lord. And if anyone in here is has, has never received Jesus as their Savior and they want to do that, then just... Pray with me right now and say, Lord, save me. Lord, I hear this wonderful offer of my sins being able to be forgiven. And I I turn my heart towards you and I just pray that you'd help me believe it. Give me the faith to trust it. Forgive all my sins, Jesus. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen.